Normal broadcasting has been discontinued. Coming to you from Portland, Oregon. The sports business capital of North America. Keep your radio tuned to this frequency. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Now, your host. I tell you, I've never seen anything like that guy. Brian Berger. Well, thanks for checking out the only show in the country dedicated to covering the business side of sports. Glad you could join us this week. Good to be back after a week off. In segment three, Darren Ravel, he's CNBC sports business reporter. He's going to join us. We'll discuss the potential sale of the Pittsburgh Steelers, especially how pro sports teams might be on the block in the next few years, depending on who's elected president and capital gains, taxes and estate taxes. We'll discuss that along with the gas crunch and how that is affecting NASCAR. That's coming up with Darren Ravel in segment three. In segment four, Sports Sense, we're going to be joined by Cubs legend and baseball Hall of Famer Ryan Sandberg. He's also the manager of the Cubs single A affiliate, the Peoria Chiefs. They're going to be playing the first ever minor league game at Wrigley Field later this month. We'll discuss that with Ryan Sandberg, one of my favorite athletes of all time, by the way, in segment four. A couple of other notes visit my sports business blog or download the SBR podcast on demand. Just go to sports businessradio.com. Very much looking forward to having Ryan Sandberg on. He's one of the class acts in all of sports. I was a big admirer of his as I was growing up, and he was part of a uh, triumphant in Chicago, if you will, himself, Walter Payton, Michael Jordan, really the toast of Chicago back in the 80s. It'll be good to speak with Ryan Sandberg. Plenty of headlines coming up. We'll talk about the Sonics since we couldn't talk about them last week. Also, Wimbledon TV ratings, lots of headlines coming up. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. This is Brian Berger from Sports Business Radio. I know many of our listeners dream of a job in the sports industry but don't know where to begin. To me, it's an easy call. Go where sports business education got its start, at the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. As the first business school in the country to offer undergraduate and graduate programs themed around this multi-billion dollar industry, the Warsaw Center offers a unique blend and strong general business training, sports business curriculum taught by industry experts, and rich out-of-classroom experiences, including real-world consulting projects, study tours, and internships. With a strong industry and alumni network and a staff dedicated to accelerating your career, the Warsaw Center has a proven track record of placing students in teams, league offices, corporate sponsors, marketing agencies, sports media, and sports shoe and apparel firms. But like any elite team, there's only a few spots on the roster. To learn more, visit sportsbusinessradio.com for a link to the center's website. The Warsaw Sports Marketing Center. Passion, integrity, and leadership in sports business education. Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. It's time for this week's Sports Business Radio headline, sponsored by the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. Visit warsawcenter.com for more information. Headline number one, since we weren't with you last week, the Seattle Supersonics are on their way to Oklahoma City. This has been an ongoing saga that we've discussed plenty on this show. The price for the Sonics to move to Oklahoma City $75 million, $45 million now, $30 million if a deal gets done for a team in the future in Seattle, which in my opinion is not likely to happen anytime soon. The villains here, Nathan, Howard Schultz, the Starbucks magnate who owned the Sonics and sold them to a group comprised completely of out-of-towners, and Greg Nichols, the mayor of Seattle, who 
just a few weeks ago was in a courtroom talking about how much the Sonics meant to the community, how you couldn't put a price tag on that. And then $75 million is waved in his face, and he signs off on letting a team that had been in Seattle for 41 years move out of town. Well, yeah, I've talked to a lot of people from Seattle, and they want to blame Clay Bennett. And Clay Bennett is not the villain as much as you want him to be. It is Howard Schultz. He should never have sold the team to a group of investors from Oklahoma City. There were a number of people in Seattle that were trying to put together money. He wanted the quick buck, and now he's the one to blame, not Clay Bennett. And if it's not bad enough for the city of Seattle, Key Arena, the title sponsor, Key Bank, they're talking about pulling their naming rights sponsorship because part of their deal that they signed was contingent on the Sonics being the main tenant of that arena. Now, since that's not going to be the case, I hope the city of Seattle is going to enjoy that money, and I hope they get a lot of use out of it because they're probably going to lose the naming rights on Key Arena as well. We will continue to follow this story because it's got a lot of layers to it, and I'm sure it's far from done. Our next headline, NBC's coverage of Wimbledon's men's final, which saw Rafael Nadal defeat Roger Federer in the event's longest final ever at Wimbledon, earned a 4.612 rating. That's up 43.8% from last year's Federer-Nadal final. And then on the women's side, Venus versus Serena, that was the highest-rated women's final since 2005. So, Nathan, we talked a few weeks ago. Sharapova, Roddick, Ivanovich, a lot of the top names James Blake went out early. But in the end, you probably couldn't have asked for two more star-studded finals, the Williams sisters facing each other, and then the Nadal-Fetter, which is quickly turning into one of the best rivalries in all of sports. Well, yeah, one of the things we talk about all the time on this show with individual sports is is name recognition, and there's no more recognizable names right now in tennis than Roger Federer and Nadal. Excuse the Americans who went out earlier. That's unfortunate, but certainly a positive for American tennis and the Williams sisters coming back on strong. So this is fantastic for tennis right now. This is just what they needed, and this event was shown over and over again on ESPN Classic. And, you know, Nadal Federer, that's a match that people are going to talk about for a long, long time. Our next headline, the Major League Baseball All-Star Game on Tuesday is bringing in a record high ad rate with Fox expecting to log a complete sellout well before the game. The average cost for a 30-second spot is coming in at $450,000, which represents a double-digit increase from last year. Now, Major League Baseball is ramping up their efforts all across the board for this game in New York. We're going to see a concert with Bon Jovi in Central Park. This is the last ever All-Star game at Yankee Stadium since the Yankees are moving into a new stadium next year. I expect, Nathan, that the TV ratings for this game will be pretty high just because it's at Yankee Stadium and it has historical implications. Oh, absolutely. I think that's the only reason we'll see ratings high. I think they'll dip back down again next year. But everybody wants to have a piece of history, Yankee Stadium playing the last game the last All-Star game there, and plus everybody's always interested in all the stuff that goes on the side, the home run derby, the concerts, and everything else that's associated with the All-Star game. So don't be surprised if next year you see the ratings dip. Chevy is sponsoring the All-Star game parade. There's also a pregame and a postgame show. They're going to have a red carpet show where they get the athletes coming in. I don't know if I'll watch that, but uh, lots of inventory for Fox to sell. Our next headline, NBC Universal will present 3,600 hours of coverage for the Beijing games, including 22 hours of live events, the most live coverage in the U.S. of any Olympics ever. Seven networks, NBC, USA, MSNBC, CNBC, Oxygen, 
Telemundo and Universal HD will broadcast events on TV. And when combined with NBCOlympics.com, the coverage will total 1,000 more hours than that of all previously televised U.S. Summer Games in U.S. history. Again, Nathan, we've talked about this many times on this show, but you're not going to be able to miss the Olympic coverage, whether it's online or one of these seven networks. It's going to be in HD. We're going to see the Olympics like we've never seen them before. Well, you know, we talk all the time about how watching online is going to shape the way we watch sports in the future. The one thing that NBC has working in their favor right now is the fact that they do have so many networks. So if there's one plus to watching on TV, NBC has, you know, half a dozen, if not more, networks that are going to be airing these Olympics. So if you're not going to watch it on your computer, you'll certainly be able to find a channel to watch it on TV. NBC's primetime coverage will include all 32 gold medal finals for swimmings across eight days, four nights of gymnastics, beach volleyball, and the men's and women's marathon. So if you're only going to watch after work, that's what you're going to get. Our next headline, Tony Stewart, smoke, is leaving Joe Gibbs Racing and will be the 50% owner of Haas CNC Racing, which beginning next season will be known as Stewart Haas Racing. The two-time Sprint Cup champion, basically was given 50% of the company in exchange for his name, talent, credibility, and the sponsorship dollars he brings to the organization. Sources close to the deal say it will make Stewart the highest-paid driver in all of NASCAR. Yes, even more than Little E. Insiders also say that Stewart grew tired of sharing the spotlight at Joe Gibbs Racing with Kyle Busch, who's having a breakout season. Office Depot will likely sponsor Stewart's new car starting in 2009. Coming up next... CNBC sports business reporter Darren Ravel. We have lots to discuss with him. The Pittsburgh Steelers, one of the storied franchises in all of the NFL, could they be for sale? Also, we're going to break down the prenup between A-Rod and C-Rod. That's coming up next with Darren Ravel from CNBC. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. My guest is Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Let's go back to the year 2000. The year before you bought the Mavericks, they were 40 and 42. Fan interest was pretty lukewarm. When you bought this team, what did you see in this team? What was the potential that you saw to get them to where they are today? Probably none. Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is Dr. Miles Brand, the president of the NCAA. I think the reason why we have a BCS-type system in Division 1A and elsewhere we have playoffs is that the schools in Division 1A feel that the regular season is the most important aspect of football. Read the Sports Business blog and listen to SBR On Demand at SportsBusinessRadio.com. See, I think that's the big thing. Sports Business Radio, Saturday. <laughs> Or online at sportsbusinessradio.com. This is Sports Business Radio. My guest is Darren Ravel. He's the sports business reporter for CNBC. You can check him out online at darrenravel.com. Darren, always good to have you on the show. Thanks for joining us. I always enjoy coming on, Brian. So you've had some amazing items on your blog lately. You're doing great stuff on TV. Congrats on that. But there's a few things that caught my eye that I want to discuss with you. Let's start by talking about the potential sale of the Pittsburgh Steelers, long owned by the Rooney family. And 
there's talk that at least controlling interest may be sold. But the part that you wrote about this week that I want to talk about that's really interesting is, you know, if Obama becomes president, there could be some potential changes to capital gains taxes and estate tax laws that could really uh, impact ownership of sports teams. And if you're on the fence about selling now or selling later, you write that it might behoove you to sell now. Explain. Well, I've always been told that, you know, you look at 2010 and the, when the estate tax is at 0%, it's basically repealed, where now it's at 45%. And, you, you know, you owe, ideally you'd like to die between January 1st, 2010 and December 31st, 2010. If you're a little bit old and you want to pass on your team and your family, it goes down at 0%. Now, some people say that's not going to last. But I always had my eye on 2010 as a year where either family, Team, you know, teams were going to stay in the family, or we would see a lot of sales because it'd get passed down, and then the son or daughter would sell the team. So I always saw that as a year. But then when I was talking to a couple of people in the sports finance world, and they told me that now is the chance to sell the team, perhaps not because of passing it down, but because you have to pay a capital gains tax when you sell anything at a profit. Right now it's at 15%. When Barack Obama laid out his most recent plans, uh, uh, suffice it to say that sports owners are are voting Republican because the capital gains tax that is in his plans, and again, everything has to happen in D.C. for it to be approved, but is between 20 and 28%. If it it comes out the high end there at 28% and it's 15% now and you're paying 13% more on a billion-dollar franchise, that's a lot of money. And so that's why perhaps Sam Zell wants to get this Chicago Cubs thing over. And maybe that's why this just happens to be the year you know, that the Roonies crumble, even though there's all these other factors, including uh, the three of the brothers and wanting to be more involved in the casino business as the NFL tightens its restrictions on that. Yeah, it's interesting. It would be a shame because I think the Roonies, and I saw a recent vote in Sports Illustrated, uh, voted them the, the best owners in all of the NFL. They've been long, well-respected, and uh, it'd be a shame if the league lost them, but I guess we'll keep our eyes on that. So another thing you wrote about this week is the world of golf without Tiger Woods and the TV numbers, I guess, have plummeted as many expected they would. Uh, give us some of those details. I, I think we've actually gotten a unique look into the at least normal tournaments post-Tiger. And the reason for that is we always have a total control situation in the Wachovia Championship, where Tiger was the defending champion and, of course, didn't return, and the AT&T National, the tournament that Tiger hosted but didn't play well, uh, or at least into the final couple groupings last year, but hosted it and was there. Anthony Kim won both of those. Jim Furyk, Robert Allenby, those guys were in the top five. So what we saw was... A tournament where Tiger was a defending champion, he doesn't come back. The other guys play, whatever. That Those ratings on the final day are down 53%. The AT&T National, where Tiger wasn't in the uh, the final groupings in 2007, but he's not there, doesn't, doesn't host. Anthony Kim wins again, and you have almost the same guys down 48%. So at least in the regular tournaments, the non-majors, we're talking about, and we've always said this, but this is consistent now, 
50% drop in ratings when Tiger is not playing. Now, the majors are going to be interesting without Tiger because um, the closest thing we've seen is the PGA, uh, the, the, the players' championship, which was down 8%. I think they got lucky in that Sergio was there at the end. But, uh, you know, this is, there's really going to be a compelling argument for a Tiger tour. The, the fact that we have non-Tiger makes the more compelling argument that Tiger can do this by himself. The sad thing is the PGA Tour knows that it's actually not that hard to organize a golf tournament, and that's the scary thing. They're the closest thing to an umbrella organization as the NCAA is. Uh, no, no one's going to put on another basketball league or another uh, in a football league, but but Tiger probably could go out by himself, recruit all the other golfers, and put the PGA Tour out of business. But wasn't there talk of that several years ago, Greg, yes, Greg Norman? Was. I don't, and it was it was all rumor. And you know, Tiger's guy Mark Steinberg never really said anything specific. But it would be really interesting, Brian, if that you know if that was really explored. Because I don't think the PGA Tour has that much protection. The players are going to go to where the money is, and that's the simple fact. Hmm. Wow. We'll definitely keep our eyes on that. Quickly, what do you think of Anthony Kim? I mean, he's the youngest player since Tiger to win two tournaments or more in a season. And, you know, Nike signed this guy early on. They got on board with him. He looks like he's charismatic. Uh, yeah, you- pretty excitable. I, it, I, it's just, uh, un- unfortunately, it's, it's, it's Tiger sport. It, I think golf is unique in that Tiger spoiled us and then, there's not someone else to say, I love this game of golf. It's kind of weird in that people love watching Tiger, but they don't love watching golf. Right. You know, and every time I say to myself, how is that possible? I hear stories of you know, people who are in their living room and they're, you know, they're, some of my friends and their kids walks in and says, you know, your dad's watching golf and the kid walks in and says, Tiger playing, and dad says, He's not, you know, in the final pairing, and the kid walks away. That's the reality of it. Let's talk about NASCAR, something else you wrote about. The slow economy, the heavy gas prices, how are they affecting the world of NASCAR? They're, 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 they're the worst. I mean, I feel like at this point, there's, the only effect we'll see in other sports is that uh, maybe you get a um, more of a corporate base, even more than we have now, if if the the average person stays away, they'll they'll fill it up. They'll they'll go to eight NFL home games. They'll be there. Um, but but at NASCAR, when you're asking for a Super Bowl every week, which is which is amazing, I give them credit. But this is where it falls. Super Bowl every week, and you have people in these gas guzzling RVs, just you know, usually going to ten to fifteen of these things back to back, spending the <laughs> summer doing this. Right. You can't do it when it's three hundred bucks, Brian. I mean, three hundred bucks to fill up your RV. I don't even know if that's accurate, but it's got to be. It's got to be even more than that. Oh, maybe. I bet it's more than that. You know, because if, it, if it's if it's a hundred bucks to fill up a SUV, uh, an Escalade. I mean, those things are like seven, eight times the size. So, right. You know, that's that's not going to work. So that so so they're they're going to get slaughtered first here. Sticking with NASCAR, uh, Tony Stewart, one of the biggest names in NASCAR, he becomes part owner starting next season of now Stewart Haas uh, Racing. And, you know, by some people's accounts, is going to become the highest paid 
NASCAR driver in all of NASCAR, even higher than Little E, uh, leaves Joe Gibbs Racing. They have a fantastic operation. What do you make of this transition? I think it comes at great risk. It's not like going to another team in baseball. I mean, we all know that it's all about technology and and your team. And, and, and I know there's a sense from NASCAR insiders that if he doesn't win again this year, he might never win. Uh, and I, it's, it's even more of a risk when you consider, yeah, you have the rewards of being a part owner, but then consider that what's going on with the NASCAR economy, right. that, that all, all the inside sports sponsors, you know, the biggest ones are the car companies. And they can't, you know, Chevrolet is going to cut back at 12 tracks. And, and GM, uh, they, they, they're not filing for bankruptcy, apparently, but there's talk. I mean, it, it, I, I think it's crazy, unless you're just talking about Tony Stewart, you know, himself, but... I think it's crazy to accept a part ownership role at this point, but maybe that's just the risk of doing it, you know, just getting a piece of the action. Unfortunately, the action seems like it's on the downturn. You know, let me ask you this. I'm just thinking about this off the top of my head. Do you think that we'll see it all maybe sometime in the next five to ten years, a race team trying to develop a car that's powered on something other than gas? Yes. Well, we've had the, we've had the whole IRL car that was – the ethanol car that that uh, that Paul uh, Paul Dana drove, the the guy who got killed, um, you know. And I, I guess I mean, I, I, funny. I asked Richard Petty if if they would do what they did in 1974, which is cut the races by 10 percent. That was just a symbolic thing because no one, you know, the lines at those gas stations were ridiculous, and people were angry that the the drivers were driving around, you know, and not going anywhere right um but yeah i mean I, i'd say it's it's possible the, the funny thing is i mean i'm at cnbc all day everyone talks about these alternatives but the bottom line is where the wide distribution of these alternatives aren't going to happen for for a decade right a long, so, long time so and, and and it's nice to drive your hybrid car but you're not going to reap the benefits of your, your pay in order to get back what you pay for a hybrid car it takes five to ten years so nice to the environment but i'm not doing it yeah last question alex rodriguez and cindy rodriguez looks like they're calling it quits alex rodriguez has a lucrative contract worth a few hundred million dollars uh, where does this leave A-Rod and his money? Was there a prenup? I know you wrote something about that, and at the prenup uh, there may be a loophole that allows Cindy Rodriguez to get more than she normally would. Where's A-Rod going to be with his uh, fortune? Well, uh, he's earned about $110 million on the field since they got married, um, and there definitely was a prenup, and it's acknowledged in the divorce documents, although they don't they they purposely say that they don't attach it to provide you know the ultimate exhibit of of what was actually agreed to. Hopefully, it's better than some other athletes' prenups, which just provided for fifty percent, which ruined the whole point of a prenup. But it says in in this document that was filed by Cynthia Rodriguez's lawyers that they're going to have to debate and explore the validity of the prenup, which I'm sure. You know, and that's that's where she wants to go. But I'm not sure how vague that a prenup can be if you sign the thing and and someone sees you signing and it's a legal document. Unless they did it on a napkin, which I might not put past A Rod at this point. Um, <laughs> <laughs> then then I then I think it's probably legal.
Yeah, he definitely hasn't shown to be the best business person. No. Good, good thing he has at least a few people around him who are taking good care thing, of that Good farm. thing he has a manager. Oops, who's also Madonna's manager. Right. God, what a mess that is. <laughs> I know. Well, Darren, it's always great to catch up with you. I know you're going to be in Beijing at the Olympics, and we'll have you on uh, next month uh, when you're there in August. And uh, great stuff. You've been doing good stuff. Again, Darren Ravel, CNBC, sports business reporter. You can get him online at DarrenRavel.com. Darren, thanks for making time to join us. Thanks for having me, Brian. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. When I'm looking for a place to have dinner with family, friends, or business associates, there's only one restaurant on my list. Morton's The Steakhouse, the best steak anywhere. In its 28th year in business, Morton serves only the finest quality foods, featuring USDA prime-age beef, fresh seafood, hand-picked produce, and decadent desserts prepared to perfection. Not to mention the award-winning wine list. When my destination is Morton's, the best is always on the menu. And they treat me like a VIP during every visit, whether in the dining room or the private boardrooms. With almost 75 restaurants conveniently located around the world, Morton's is the gold standard when it comes to steakhouses. To find the Morton's nearest you or to make a reservation, go online to mortons.com. Morton's, the best steak anywhere and the official steakhouse of Sports Business Radio. One-on-one with those making the big-time decisions that impact your sport. This is Sports Sense on Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio. My guest is Ryan Sandberg. He's a Chicago Cubs legend. He's a baseball Hall of Famer. He made 10 consecutive All-Star appearances and won nine consecutive gold gloves during his playing career. His 989 field percentage is a major league record at second base. He was the National League's MVP in 1984. Mr. Sandberg, thanks for joining us on Sports Business Radio. Hey, I appreciate it. Nice to be with you. So you're now the manager of the Peoria Chiefs, the single-A affiliate of the Chicago Cubs, and the Chiefs are going to be playing at Wrigley Field against the Kane County Cougars on Tuesday, July 29th at the 7.05 p.m. game. But the thing that makes this game special is it's believed to be the first minor league game at Wrigley Field. Your thoughts on returning to the field where your number is retired, but this time as a manager? Well, I think it's going to be a special night, uh, and, and I think it is a fact that it will be the first minor league game played at Wrigley Field. Uh, we're looking at a, a crowd that could, could be between twenty five and 30,000, which would break a, uh, a Midwest League record, uh, obviously. Uh, but it, it's going to be special also because uh, to have these, these young players from both of these teams uh, going out there and, and having the opportunity to play a full game at Wrigley Field, I mean, that doesn't happen every day for these, these young players. And whether it's a chance of a lifetime for these guys or whether it's a little, a little incentive or a, a, a little uh, shot in the future of where their home team could be, and maybe they'll play some other games there if, if they get after it and, uh, and one day make it to the major league. So I think it's going to be a great night. And, uh, you know, for myself, managing the team, uh, watching the game from, a, from uh, a similar vantage point in the home dugout, but uh, obviously with different duties, coaching third base, uh, managing the team, uh, I'm very excited about it, uh, as well as uh, 
really the players from both teams. It must be tremendous insight that you can offer your players as someone who played there for so many years. Um, and then, you know, just letting them get a taste of here's what the big leagues could be like. And in the Fredling confines, by many people's opinion, uh, the best ballpark in all of Major League Baseball. Well, I have to agree with that. And, uh, yeah, you know, I'll, uh, I'll definitely be able to show my team where the home locker room is. There'll be no problem with that. <laughs> I'll <tell you> that. And, <laughs> but, uh, you, know, uh, you know, my guys watch, watch the Cubs games on TV. We have TVs here in the locker room here in Peoria and uh, often on the road, and we, and we follow the team. And, uh, you know, I really can't imagine what's, uh, what will be going through their mind uh, once they do take uh, – take foot on Wrigley Field and, and actually be there. So uh, a lot of history there. Uh, it's going to be a great evening and uh, and really great for the players and the fans that will be there. You were always such an intelligent ball player, and you know obviously now you're managing. Do you ever have aspirations to maybe be sitting in that home dugout at Wrigley Field as the manager of the Chicago Cubs someday? Well, you know what? I'm uh, I'm taking this one year at a time. This is my second year here in Peoria. I was given the opportunity uh, with this with this job last year, and I'm just trying to make the most out of it. Uh, I, I come to the ballpark so, uh, similar as I did as a player to to learn something every day. And uh, you know, the the major leagues is uh, is out there at, at uh, you know possibly there at the end uh, as as it is for these players. And uh, I mentioned that to them, that, uh, you know, we're kind of all in the same boat here. We're all, we're all at A-ball. Um, we, we all have an opportunity here to, uh, to uh, get pretty good at this and, uh, and hopefully make this uh, our profession and, and uh, hopefully one day make it to the major league. So, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's a goal of mine. But, uh, you know, I'm really concentrating on what I'm, what I'm doing right now and, uh, like I say, I'm trying to do it. I'm trying to do it the right way. I'm trying to do a good job and uh, and be good at it. And uh, so far, so good. Uh, I I really enjoy coming to the ballpark every day and uh, and having the wheels turning on on what the players need to do as individuals to move up the ladder and also what what we need to do as a team to uh, to play well as a team. So. Uh, it's going great. Uh, I enjoy it, and if one day I can make it to the major leagues, you know that that'd be the ultimate. There are a lot of great parks in Major League Baseball. As a player, what makes Wrigley so special? We've seen it as fans, but as a player, what makes Wrigley Field the, such a special field? Well, as soon as you not only arrive to Wrigley, but even blocks away, you start to get the feel of, uh, hey, this is a happening event today, and and everybody everybody wants to be there. And Wrigley Field, since 1984, has not been not been had enough seats. Uh, for everybody that would want to be there that day. And, you know, primarily day games uh, is a big thing. Uh, it's, it's the main game going on during the afternoon. Uh, it has the history there. It's built in a way that uh, that was really built for baseball, where there's not a bad seat in the whole house, and, and the fans are, are fairly close to the action. Uh, you got the bleacher bums out there, which is uh, creates a lot of uh, tremendous energy out there. you got the ivy on the wall. I mean, really... Really, it's the model, it's the old model of ballpark that the new ballparks have taken a lot of uh, things from it. You've got the brick around home plate, uh, you've got ivy growing out there. All, all the new parks you see have, have a little touch of Wrigley Field in it, but it, it, it has the vintage feel. Uh, there's a lot of, obviously a lot of history there. Uh, you've got the people on the rooftops across the street. Uh, you know, it's got the manual scoreboard. 
I mean, the list goes on and on. So all in all, it's just a, a very unique uh, stadium and one of a kind. We're joined by Ryan Sandberg. He's a Chicago Cubs legend and a baseball Hall of Famer. He was the MVP of the National League in 1984. Ryan, no secret, but the Cubs are for sale, and Wrigley Field could be combined with the sale. Do you have any thoughts or, uh, I guess, sorrows or sadness to see that the Cubs may be sold at some point soon? Well, you know what, I hope that it's just for the better. Uh, You know, it's something that nobody can really uh, do anything about, but, uh, you know, sometimes uh, a move like this is, is for the long term, and it's for the betterment of of the team and the uh, the product that goes out there, and uh, the money that's spent on the players to keep it uh, a top-notch team uh, like it is today. So, you know, I hope that the, some good decisions are made, and uh, I'm pretty sure that uh, uh, the city of Chicago will uh, will keep their keep their eyes on that and 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 hopefully have some input uh, that uh, that it, it does go to an owner that's that wants to win, uh, wants to uh, make it a uh, successful franchise and uh, and and hopefully uh, start a winning tradition that uh, can go on for some years. Yeah, they're certainly having a lot of success this year. You know, I want to take you back to the 1980s for a moment when you were playing. I remember seeing a poster of you, Bears running back Walter Payton, and Bulls guard Michael Jordan. And I'm wondering, you know, it looks like you guys had a fun time making that poster or at that photo shoot. I'm just wondering how often you interacted with the two of them because the three of you really did own Chicago during the 1980s. Well, through those years, uh, you know, I'd see them at different events. Um, uh, all three of us were with uh, with Chevy, uh, representing the, uh, Chevy in, in the Chicagoland area. So, there was the auto show in the winter time that we'd all be at the, the at the same uh, appearance and and uh, since we since we played uh, different times of the year uh um it seems like we were fans of each other uh you know myself going to uh the to Bulls game when Michael's playing in the winter time in my off season or going to the Bears game and and Walter play, Walter Walter uh Peyton playing and uh, you know these guys would show up at Wrigley Field during the summertime when they weren't playing. So it's just, it was just a happening thing going on in Chicago. It was uh, some pretty good sports teams uh, going on uh, in the '80s in all all of those sports. And uh, and and Chicago is such a great city as far as fan support and uh, the the uh, old traditions that they have uh, with those teams. So it was great to be uh, connected with those guys uh, in that way. And uh, you know, um, uh, we, we just tried to represent Chicago and, and for what uh, the Chicago fans uh, like and stand for. Well, you guys were all class acts and did a great job. Let me ask you this. Jordan obviously had a short-lived baseball career. Before he played or during his playing days, did he ever reach out to you for a tip or any advice? No, he sure didn't. Uh, I actually played Maybe against... he should have. <laughs> no, you know what? I, I played against him in a uh, crosstown classic game, and that's when the Cubs play the White Sox, but it's just for exhibition for the city. And this was all before 97 uh, when Interleague came into play. And, uh, and Michael had worked his way up through the system, and I actually played a, a game against him at Wrigley Field. And I remember he got a, a chopping base hit over third base for the, uh, for the game winner that day. So... I actually played on the same baseball field with Michael Jordan, <laughs> so that's kind of ironic. Pretty cool. I'm going to take you back even before the 80s. Uh, you were a heavily recruited high school quarterback. Uh, why'd you choose baseball? Well, I think I was just a lucky guess. 
to be honest <laughs> with you. I was I was recruited out of uh, high school uh, not only as an All-American quarterback for football, but All-State baseball and an All-State basketball player. So I was uh, I was busy my senior year of making college visits and uh, uh, three different colleges, uh, major colleges. I talked to all three coaches in all three of those sports. So it was kind of a whirlwind for me. I had no idea what I wanted to do. Um, uh, I was actually I actually signed a letter of intent to Washington State to uh, follow in the footsteps of Jack Thompson, who was going to be a senior, and I'd have been a freshman quarterback. And I uh, I actually had registered for all my classes, had a roommate and everything in early summer. Then the June draft came, and uh, I was drafted by the Philadelphia Phillies. And uh, within two weeks, I, I totally changed my mind. I said, you know what, what I really want to do is be a professional athlete and give it my best shot. So I, I said, you know what, I can sign right now. I, I could be a professional in a sport, and I can go and go into the minor leagues and study the game and, and put uh, put all my apples in one, one basket, so to speak, and, uh, and, and give that my best shot. So really that's what I did uh, just on a whim. I mean, uh, it, it, all in all, it worked out so great. Uh, there's no looking back, but... Uh, I, I was going through some stress uh, my senior year in high school, that's for sure. Well, you definitely chose wisely. We're joined by Ryan Sandberg. He's the Chicago Cubs legend, baseball Hall of Famer. We've got just a few minutes left. Uh, Ryan, talk a little bit about the difference between the players today and the players of your era. Obviously, you're a manager now, but you see what's going on in baseball today. You watch it as, a, as an observer what would you say are the two to three biggest differences between players today and players when you played? Well, uh, I believe when I played, I think the minor leagues was uh, was top-notch baseball where where it was tough to move up, up the ranks and it was tough to move up the, the ladder to, to one day be a major league player where I think, I think players are uh, uh, go through the system um, – a little bit too fast and, and actually become major leaguers before they're ready for it uh, ability wise and and just having the fact that, uh, that that they didn't struggle enough in the minor leagues to uh, to really appreciate being in the major leagues uh, because I, I remember when I broke in uh, in 1981 82 and uh, and I had my first taste in the major leagues uh, major league teams were stacked with players and uh, and it was it was players that had that that would play together for 10, 12 years on the same team, and and to break into that unit was very, very difficult. And then, but once you did, then you were you were there to stay, and and you could play the game. So, I think just uh, just the way that the, the the players come through there, and uh, and and once they become major leaguers, I don't, I'm not sure if they know how to act or not, but. Uh, I think the talent in the major leagues today is is very good. I think I think players. Uh, I think players are very fast. I think they're strong. Uh, I, I think it's. Uh, I, I think we're back to a good, good brand of baseball in the, in the past uh, maybe uh, two or three years, uh, getting out of the, uh, the the steroid era, which uh, which I thought was very disturbing. Uh, seeing the numbers that players were putting up, and and myself uh, being shortly retired from the game, couldn't relate to the to the. The numbers and the stats and the and the, the way that the game was played. I think we're back now to uh, doing the little things, 
playing the game the way it's supposed to be, and uh, and really, I like I like a lot of the players that are in the league today. Yeah, I mean, you I know you had some strong comments around your Hall of Fame induction about performance enhancing drugs and your disappointment at what the game had become. So you now think that. Uh, the game is being cleaned up. You're happy with the direction things are going? Oh, yes, no question. I think Major, base, Major League Baseball handled it very aggressively. Uh, I think they got a – oh, I know they have a policy in place that is very, very strict and, uh, and can really, it, really sends, it really sends a message to the, to the player, not only at the Major League level but at the Minor League level. So uh, baseball handles it very well, and uh, I, I, I'm very confident that the game is definitely cleaned up. As, as I can see with, with the way that the game is played and, uh, and the numbers are, are, are numbers that I can relate to uh, during my years, um, playing with the, uh, the Andre Dawson's and the Mike Schmidt and, uh, and playing against Dale Murphy. These guys, these guys were power hitters, but we were talking about hitting, uh, you know, these guys hitting 35 to 40 home runs. And so during those years of the 50s and the 60s and the 70 home runs, I had a hard time watching watching that because I couldn't relate to it to all the great players that, that I played with and played against because they didn't do that. So uh, I, I do enjoy the game today. I think there's there's a lot of great players. Uh, just, just looking at the all-stars that were named yesterday, uh, I think there's some good quality there. So I think the game today is, is as popular as it's ever been with all the games on TV, with the fans that go to the ballpark. Uh, the new, new ballparks are fantastic. Uh, interleague play is great. So I think baseball is at a high right now. Last question for you. I've always admired your the job that you've done in the community. I know you have Rhino Kid Care. Um, talk about that a little bit. I know you work closely with your, your wife and your family on that, and maybe you can just tell us about that and uh, how you had the idea to start it. Well, I appreciate you mentioning that, first of all. And, uh, and people can look at that at rhinokidcare.com. Uh, my wife and I... Uh, uh, wanted to give something back and, and do something good, mainly in the city of Chicago. But we've also expanded to Peoria and to Phoenix, uh, Arizona. But uh, what we do is uh, we, we we cater to and we bring the outside world to the families that are that have a, a sick child uh, in the hospital for uh, for extended periods of time. We bring the outside world to them and. And care to their needs, uh, whether it's haircuts or massages or uh, bus passes or or meals or celebrating holidays. Uh, whatever the needs are, uh, we raise money and we have volunteers that go into uh, ten ten children's hospitals in the Chicagoland area, uh, one down here in Peoria and one in Phoenix. And uh, we raise money by uh, we have a big uh, kickball tournament in Chicago at Grant Park. We raise uh, around 150,000 for that, and this this year we're doing the first annual um, uh, golf tournament on uh, on Waveland Golf Course right there by Wrigley Field. It's an old course, nine holes. And we That's hope great. To raise, hope to raise about 75,000 there, and we also take donations. But um, uh, it's something that uh, you know, my wife and I have five kids. Uh, they're all healthy, and uh, and. We're, we're blessed with that, so so we try and help and take care of uh, the, the families that are there and and whatever we can do. Uh, so uh, we get a we get a big we get a big um, big thrill out of that, and uh, and still very hard touched when we go there and, and can help these families.
Well, I grew up in Phoenix long ago before the Diamondbacks were there, and the Cubs were the adopted home team, and I followed your career closely. You've always conducted yourself with the utmost of class, and uh, I congratulate you on your job in Peoria, and I hope you rise through the ranks, and I'd love to see you managing the Cubs one day or being whatever you want to be, and I appreciate you taking time here on Sports Business Radio. Yeah, I appreciate it. Nice talking to you. You take care. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. This is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. We live in an age where everything is on the record. What we say anywhere, whether it's in an elevator, in an email, or during a conversation with a reporter, is now being broadcast instantaneously on YouTube, in a blog, or through the mass media. It's easier than ever to spot someone who has been traditionally media trained and is just giving you that same old boring PR speak. I want to help you navigate the tricky media landscape. When I'm not hosting Sports Business Radio, I team with former Nike PR director Lee Weinstein to form Evergreen Media Training. Evergreen Media Training assists individuals and groups by offering unique preparation and training catered to your specific needs. From explaining today's media environment to providing you with post-training, monitoring, and feedback, we'll guide you every step of the way. With nearly 40 years of combined experience working with some of the biggest names in the sports industry, we'll help you communicate your messages honestly, thoughtfully, and from the heart. For an overview and a list of services, visit evergreenmediatraining.com or email me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com. The website is sportsbusinessradio.com. Musicians Cheryl Crow, Nelly, and Three Doors Down are among the artists who will record exclusive tracks for AT&T's Team USA soundtrack. The music will be featured during NBC and Telemundo broadcasts of the Beijing Olympic Games this August. That according to this week's USA Today. Imprisoned quarterback Michael Vick, our favorite guy, is seeking bankruptcy protection, saying he owes between $10 million and $50 million to creditors. Vic filed Chapter 11 papers in U.S. Bankruptcy Court in Newport News on Monday. The seven largest creditors listed in the court papers are owed a total of $12.8 million. Vic is serving a 23-month prison sentence at the U.S. Penitentiary in Leavenworth, Kansas, after pleading guilty last year to bankrolling a dogfighting ring. Lots of thank yous on our show this week. Darren Ravel, the sports business reporter from CNBC. Ryan Sandberg, Chicago Cubs legend, manager of the Peoria Chiefs and baseball Hall of Famer. Ryan Sandberg, one of my favorite athletes of all time, and it was a great opportunity to catch up with him, and he lived up to everything I've always thought about him. He is a class act. If you want more information on that minor league game at Wrigley Field, good opportunity for you to go if you can't get tickets to a Cubs game. Cubs.com, that's the place to go. Our show staff, Nathan Roach, Bobby Corser, Josh Blank, Darren Peck, Ron Barr, James Harris, and Doug Zanger. And our sponsors, Morton's The Steakhouse, the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon, ProTrade.com, and Evergreen Media Trading. A podcast reminder, you can catch our show on demand via podcast every week. Just go to SportsBusinessRadio.com and click on the podcast page. I'm Brian Berger. Have a fantastic week. We'll see you next week.
Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Robert Sarver, the owner of the Phoenix Suns. When people come to a Suns game, what kind of an experience do you want it to be for them? We want them to be entertained from the time they walk in to the time they leave. The co-owner of the Sacramento Kings, Gavin Maloof. Gavin, thanks for joining me. My pleasure, Brian. How are you? Dr. Miles Brand, the president of the NCAA. Sports Business Radio. Saturday. That's why you're a smart business person. <laughs> or at sportsbusinessradio.com.